Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. Today's episode is on the Bible. The Bible is the holy book for Christians, but what is it about? Why is it so long? What do all the numbers mean? Well, the first thing to know is why it's called the Bible. The word Bible comes from the Latin word biblios, which means library. That's where the French get their word bibliothèque. So the Bible actually isn't a book. It's a library of books, 66 in fact. This collection of books were written over a period of about a thousand years by 40 different authors and they vary in genre and purpose. Most of it is written in Hebrew, a really cool language, which writes from right to left and has no vowels in it. Now, when you open the Bible, you will see each book. There is usually a contents page at the beginning of the Bible. But when you look in each book, you will find lots of numbers. These can look very confusing at first glance, but actually are quite logical. Each book is made up of chapters, and the chapter is the big number you will see throughout each book. Then each chapter is divided up into verses, like a poem. These are the little numbers within the text. This simply makes it easier to find things. So, for example, you could say John chapter 3, verse 16. You would look up the book of John in the contents page, find the number for that book, turn to the book, turn to chapter 3, the big number, and then look for verse 16, the little number. And you will see that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Now, many people argue that the Bible is made up, but you can't really make a single claim like that about every book in a library. If you went into a normal library and said, all these books are made up, you'd sound, well, pretty silly. The librarian would point out that some of them are, by nature, and point you to the fiction section or the poetry section. If you sat and read Harry Potter and then exclaimed it was rubbish because it was made up, you'd kind of be missing the point. If you listen to the number one song in the UK at the moment, you wouldn't judge it for being made up. That's the whole point of songs. Even history books will have some inaccuracies in them because there'll be somebody's perspective on those events. If you read about the same story in different newspapers, they won't be identical. So it is with the Bible. There are made-up stories told to explain a point. They're called parables. There are poems and songs which are made up but express real thoughts, opinions, emotions and experiences. And there are historical stories told from a perspective. The other criticism sometimes levelled against the Bible is that it's full of contradictions. I think this is because it says one thing in one section and something else in another. For example, it says do not kill, but then God destroys a city and asks a man to kill his son. Now, if we remember that the Bible was written over a thousand years by different people and it focuses on the history of a group of people called the Israelites, then what we see is development rather than contradictions. Let me explain. You know when you were younger and you liked a particular food and your mum or dad constantly cooked it for you even after you told them you didn't like it anymore? Or you collected something and people still think you like it? Or you were told off for swearing when you were a child, but it became acceptable when you became an adult. When I was younger, I collected pigs. Now, I don't. When I was younger, I believed in God. Now, I don't. This does not mean I am a walking contradiction. 
just that I have changed and evolved. If you ask my parents who I am, it would be different from what my friends say or my students or my kids. This does not mean I'm a contradiction, just that people see me differently. If you put all of these things together, you'll have a pretty good knowledge of who I was, who I am and what I'm like. So it is with the Bible. You have to take things as a whole. Now, some people take things in the Bible out of context. I wonder if anyone has ever done that to you. They've heard something you've said or they've heard something you've done. They've misunderstood it and judged you for it. I once got sacked from a teaching job. (gasps) Shock horror. For, among other things, one, using my phone in lesson. I was actually Googling something for a student because my freeze button didn't work. And two, lying about having a day off when I was sick. It was actually my son that was sick, not me, and I was seen taking my second child to school. In the Bible, when you read verses like, women must be silent in church, it's easy to use that as an excuse for sexism. In actual fact, it's asking women not to gossip in church so that they can listen and learn. The other problem with the Bible is taking things literally, like God creating the world in six days of exactly 24 hours and there being a talking snake. Don't get me wrong. If there is a God, he could have created the world in six days or six hours or six seconds. He could also make snakes talk. But it is not necessary to read this story literally in order to see its truth. That there was a beginning to the universe and there was a cause to the universe, something all scientists and philosophers agree on. We also know there are different types of truth. Scientific truth is that which you can observe, water boiling at 100 degrees, gravity, etc. Historical truth you cannot observe, but you can look at evidence and have a good idea of what happened. Mathematical truth is based on rules and logic. Moral truths are the accepted ideas about how we live. And then personal truth for you, for example, that you don't like peas. It's not a fact claiming that peas are horrible, it's just that you don't like them. Someone else might like peas. They're not wrong, it's just a matter of personal choice. With the Bible, you need to work out which parts are historically accurate, i.e. that Jesus existed and was crucified, which bits are poetry, which bits are opinions that God created the world, which ones are moral truths, treat others the way you want to be treated, but never say that the Bible isn't true. So let's look at the structure of the Bible. It's actually divided into two sections the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament starts with the creation of the world, the beginning, and ends 400 years before Jesus. The New Testament starts from the life of Jesus and it goes on until the end of the world. The first five books in the Old Testament are the same as the Torah, the Jewish holy book. They are called the Pentateuch because the word pent means five, like in pentagon or pentangle. They are also known as the books of law because they contain the Ten Commandments plus the 613 other rules that strict Jews still follow today. They are meant to have been written by Moses and reflect the beliefs, practices and stories from the time, that is around the 13th century BCE or around 3,300 years ago. You can see influences from Babylonia and other ancient cultures in the stories. The first five books of the Bible then, this Torah, the Pentateuch, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Genesis is the first book in the Bible and looks at the creation of the world, the creation and history of humans, the fall of humans, 
who Abraham is, Noah's Ark, and much more. Exodus contains the story about Moses saving the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. Exodus means exit or leaving, so they left slavery and then wandered the desert and were given the Ten Commandments as well as the covenant between God and humans. Scary word alert, don't worry, covenant just means a binding promise between God and humans. They promised to obey him and keep his commandments, and God promised to look after them, give them descendants, and a land of their own. Modern Israel was the land God promised the Jews, but it was inhabited by a group of people known as the Canaanites. So there are a few issues there. The next book, Leviticus, is about how to deal with sin. Yes, you had to obey the commandments, but that wasn't enough. If you broke God's law, you had to make a sacrifice of an animal at a place called a tabernacle. The blood of the animal paid for your sin and you could be forgiven. The next book is called The Book of Numbers and it could be explained through one Beatles song. The long and winding road that leads to kind of nowhere. We're on the road to nowhere. I'll stop now. It's one of the most difficult books to access in the whole Bible. Stick with me, it's going to get complicated. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. The descendants of Isaac became the Jews. Isaac had a son called Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Each of those sons became the leader of a tribe. Jacob then changed his name to Israel, so his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, or the Israelites. The Israelites. Israel the country is named after Israel the person, the artist formerly known as Jacob, Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson. One of these sons was called Judah, where we get the word Judaism from. Another of these sons was called Levi, and they became priests. So the book of Leviticus is all about the priest's role in the sacrifices. And the Levites were still around when Jesus lived. Another of these sons was Joseph. He's the famous one who had dreams and wore an amazing technicolour dream coat. I wore my coat, I wore my coat, with golden lining, whoa, whoa, bright colours shining. You know it, and I promise that's the last time I'm going to sing. Anyway, next comes the Book of Numbers, and it is a very detailed account of the 12 tribes wandering in the desert, who was related to who, who married who, who had kids, what they did wrong, what to do about it. And then the whole story is repeated again in case we didn't get it the first time round. The fifth book is Deuteronomy and is full of Moses' speeches to the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. It ends with a few songs, as these things tend to do, but don't worry, I'm not going to sing them. And then Moses passes the mantle of leading the Israelites to Joshua and subsequently dies. Next, there is a whole section of books on history. This is the history of the Israelites that we talked about earlier, over a period of around a thousand years from the late 2nd millennium to the 4th century BCE. Their conquest of Canaan, their return to Zion in 539 BCE, the leadership of the biblical judges, the establishment of a monarchy, and a division between the kingdom of Israel, remember him, used to be called Jacob, had 12 sons, and the southern kingdom of Judah, remember him, one of the 12 sons of Israel, and where we get the word Judaism from. And the Babylonian captivity. Of course, it is someone's interpretation of this history, and much of it can't be corroborated by other historical sources. 
The next set of books in the Old Testament are about prophets. Prophets are people chosen by God to send messages to humans. There are 17 books of prophecy in the Bible. Some are quite major, like Isaiah, and some are more minor, like Habakkuk. But great name, right? Now, we've talked a little bit about the book of Isaiah in our episode with Jeff Quazo. Isaiah made loads of predictions about a coming Messiah who would come and save the Israelites. The next section is the books of poetry. These include Psalm, a book of poetry believed to have been written by King David. Because if you remember, before he killed giants and became king, he was a shepherd and a musician. Next is the book of Proverbs or sayings, which say things like a nagging wife is like a tap going drip, drip, drip. Then there is the book of Job, a slightly strange story about a wager between God and Satan as to whether they could get a man called Job to stop believing in God by destroying his life. Job is understandably slightly perplexed as to why so many bad things are happening to him when he's quite faithful to God. And God basically mocks him for not having created the world, not being God, and therefore not really knowing what he's talking about. So in the end, Job accepts the suffering, God wins the bet, and Job gets a better life back. Songs of Solomon The next book is the Songs of Solomon. Solomon was the king after David, remember him, fought the giant, and Jesus was a descendant of King David. Now, David was in love with Bathsheba, a slightly unfortunate story in which he desired another man's wife and abused his power as king to get her. Songs of Solomon is most likely poetry about his desire for her, but some Christians think it is about God's love for his people. The Book of Lamentations is about as depressing as it sounds. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, is how it starts. And then the book of Ecclesiastes. This is essentially a book about philosophy and existentialism. One of my favourite verses from this book is, There is a time for everything, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Then comes the intestamental bit, the bit in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 400 years that aren't covered in the Bible. The New Testament starts with four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They were all named after their authors, so that's simple. They are called the four Gospels because gospel means good news. And these books give an account of the life, teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus. The good news being that Jesus was God incarnate or God in the flesh who came to earth to save humans from the penalty of sin, death. Pretty good news, right? And the music, gospel music, is because it sings songs about these stories. Now, Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Syn means with or together. We use it in words like synonym or synthetic. So Matthew, Mark and Luke are similar to each other in that they tell the stories in a sort of chronological biographical style. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, so told stories in a way to appeal to the higher classes. For example, he mentioned the wise men rather than the shepherds as visitors to the baby Jesus. Luke was a doctor and appealed to the lower classes, so he mentions the shepherds rather than the wise men. John is slightly different. He wanted to demonstrate that Jesus was the Messiah, so chose stories very carefully to point out signs that Jesus was God. Now, the last thing Jesus is recorded as saying before he leaves earth and returns to heaven is to tell his disciples to spread the good news. And we'll come back to that story in a minute. After the four Gospels, there is a book called Acts. This is what happened to the disciples after Jesus went back to heaven. 
all of the disciples felt kind of left stranded, not knowing what to do. Also, they were following the teachings of a convicted criminal. So it was against the law to follow Jesus' teachings. However, about 50 days after Jesus' ascension, God sent his Holy Spirit to the disciples to give them power. They started laughing uncontrollably, so people thought they were drunk, speaking in different languages, healing people, bringing people back to life. And it is called Pentecost. Remember, pent means five, and this happened 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And I've talked in a previous episode about Saul, who was hired by the Romans to hunt down illegal Christians, but then changed his name to Paul because he had a religious experience of God and decided to join the followers of Jesus rather than persecute them. Well, that story is in the book of Acts too. Following Acts are letters that the newly converted Paul wrote to all the new churches. Now remember earlier that I said that Jesus had instructed his disciples to go into all nations and spread the good news? Well, they obeyed. And lots of people started following Jesus and started meeting together. Now one of the other things that Jesus told his disciples to do was that once people believed, to baptise them and teach them how to live. The letters Paul wrote were often teaching people how to live, but also encouraging them and admonishing them. By looking at the names of these letters, you can see where the good news of Jesus had spread to. There is a letter to the Romans. Yep, some of the Romans who had been involved in arresting followers actually became followers themselves. There are letters to the Corinthians from Corinth in Greece, a letter to the Ephesians from Ephesus in Turkey. And some of the other disciples wrote letters too. John, Peter and James, although James is actually Jacob, Jesus' brother, but King James wanted a book named after him when he translated the Bible into English. Cheeky little monkey. The last book in the New Testament is called Revelation. Now, we have done an entire episode on this, but in summary, it is a load of revelations given to John from God about the end of the world. So a very fitting way to end the Bible. So that's it. A summary of the whole Bible in 20 minutes. Whether you are religious or not, the overriding message of this library of books is to consider things that are bigger than yourself, to love yourself, to love others, to treat people as you would want to be treated, to accept criticism, to live in a way that doesn't create suffering, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, forgive yourself and forgive others. And I think this is a timeless message and the reason why the Bible is still the best-selling book of all time. Someone once told me, don't ask whether the Bible is true, but look for the truth in the Bible. So listeners, please love one another. My name is Louisa Jane Smith, and this has been the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is. I just proved it to you. But thank you so much for listening to me bore the life out of you. (laughs) 